This is CUNY TV, the City University of New York. City University Television presents The American Theatre Wing Seminars Working in the Theatre This seminar, Performance Welcome to the American Theatre Wing Seminars on Working in the Theatre. These seminars are coming to you from the City University, the Graduate Center of New York, located in Times Square, right in the center of the theatre. I'm Isabel Stevenson, and I'm president of the American Theatre Wing. And the American Theatre Wing, as you know, created the Tony Awards, which is the highest honor awarded for excellence in the theatre. I'd like to point out that it is for excellence and not for the longest run, the blockbuster, the most quotable quotes of a critic. It is for having achieved a degree of excellence in the craft of theater. But the wing is more than the Tonys. It has always stood for much more. It is the longest ongoing organization that serves the theater and the theater community through the theater. From the days of our acting school, our legendary stage door canteens, to our current programs of bringing live professional theater into nursing homes and hospitals, bringing live professional theater into schools through our Saturday Theater for Children program. We stand for theater. We stand for professional theater. Today's seminars are an outgrowth of our school and they are designed to give you an insight into the theater and how it works, how the performers, the playwrights, the producers, the directors, the scene designers, the press agents, everyone works together to bring to the audience that most important element in the theater, quality in the theater. Today's panel is on performance. And I would like to introduce Jean Dalrymple, who is member of the board of the American Theatre Wing, but also has done almost every one of the, men, men, the elements that I have mentioned. She has been a playwright, a director, and is an author as well. And Brendan Gill, who is a witty, wise, <laughs> Wonderful man, and uh, more than a critic, an observer in the theater. And I'm proud to say a member of the board of the American Theatre Wing. And they, in turn, will introduce our panel of performers to you. Thank you for being here.
wish Isabel would uh, be able to put that introduction to me to music. It sounds perfectly wonderful. <laughs> a friend of mine who had a certain measure of distinction uh, recently was being introduced and the person introducing him said, but of course so-and-so needs no introduction and he instantly broke out, oh, well, give it to me anyway, I like to hear it. Uh, in any event, on my far right is Aidan Quinn, um, who was, uh, has in his day wonderfully already played Hamlet, who has played in Fool for Love and most recently in, is in uh, A Lie of the Mind, the Sam, great Sam Shepard uh, play. And immediately uh, on my right is Glenn Close, uh, who has one of the shortest uh, names uh, on Broadway. It's perfectly wonderful for marquee purposes that has a shorter name. Except and uh, has appeared, of course, in Barnum and The Real Thing and is currently performing in uh, The Benefactors. And her movies include The Big Chill and Jagged Edge. You would wonder which of them came first. Jean. Marlo Thomas. I think everyone knows her because everyone has seen her on television, especially recently in Nobody's Child. But she was particularly wonderful. <laughs> Her debut on Broadway was in Thebes, but she had already starred in London in several productions. She'd been introduced to London by Mike Nichols, who is also <laughs> the director of her current play, Social Security. And right here is <coughs> Maurice Hines, and I'm sure you all saw him too in Cotton Club. <coughs> And we also saw him in Sophisticated Ladies with his brother, and they were simply uh, astonishing. And, um, and then just recently, he did Uptown, It's Hot, which he not only appeared in, but he wrote it, conceived it, and directed it. <laughs> One of the things maybe you, <clears throat> you introduced right off the bat, Glenn, is the question of, uh, what names can mean in terms of uh, uh, gender, as far as that goes. Aiden must have had, in some, uh, to some extent, the same problem, because if people don't know you, how can you tell what Aiden can mean? As, uh, to start with Aiden, has that really been a problem, or has it not? Uh, no, not really. Uh, people uh, mispronounce the name a lot, you know. Arden, Adrian. <laughs> but it's a fairly common name in Ireland. Yes, yes. Uh, but not a common name here at all. So no, I don't no, think no. I've ever heard that no. before. Yeah, it's a very common name in Ireland. Now, did God intend you, Glenn, to be named Glenn, or did you find Absolutely. that? <laughs> I was named after my godmother. And that was her last name. No, it was yeah. her first oh, name. Oh, it was. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> because the problem has been going on for generations. Yes, then. absolutely. Because Glenn is a common southern name as a last name, but I don't think I ever heard it as a first name. Yeah. I always thought it sounded like a football player myself. Yeah, the, uh, <laughs> and, but at the beginning of your career, you had a choice uh, whether you wanted to have this mystification or this temporary mystification exists, but you stuck to that name. Oh, uh, yes. I've, I've loved my name because it's a kind of a strange name, and I think it made me feel a little different, mm -hmm. <laughs> or which helped is, me feel different. Which is an indispensable attribute of acting? It helps, I think. Mm. 
Yes, it's easy to remember, and you said before, you can put it on a marquee very, very easily. <laughs> but I still get a lot of letters uh, addressed to Mr. Glenn Close, and the ones oh, yes. that really make me laugh is when they say, Dear Mr. Close, I love your work. Would you send me an <laughs> autograph? Say, <laughs> 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 oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Aiden, uh, that is your Irish name. Does it mean anything? Fiery. That's what I thought. Yeah. <laughs> he said with satisfaction. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's actually what it means in Gaelic. I, mm -hmm. think. Yeah. I thought so. But who would ever name a child that, something that meant sluggish? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Besides, everybody in Ireland is the king that pretends to. <laughs> now, you were actually born in Ireland? No, I've, I've lived there on and off all my life. My parents are from there. and. Um, I lived there when I was small, and I went to school there for a few years, but I wasn't born there. So you had the Gaelic, or a little of it? A little of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ireland tries still to be a great theatrical uh, place, or Dublin does, but it's not, it's not possible. No, there's, there's, there's uh, very little uh, support financially, and also very little training for, for actors in Ireland. There's tremendous natural talent, storytellers. Um, but um, there's, there really isn't any training, or not enough of yeah. it. And even when the Abbey in its greatest days, those actors were working by day as, as sales clerks and all yeah. kinds of yeah. things. There was no money in it for them yeah. at all, really yeah. for the love of the, of the art. Right. Well, where did you grow up to become an actor? Uh, in Chicago. Mm -hmm. In Chicago. And how old were you actually when you played that Hamlet? I was 25. And I just turned 26 after we opened, so I did it a year ago. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because there's always the threat in playing Hamlet uh, that the person playing it will be too old by the time he gets around to being permitted to play it. So that's, yeah. that's a very good yeah. uh, age to attempt. Yeah. I should think, I should think, Brandon, they'd be too old by the time he could remember it. <laughs> <laughs> it's really a feat of memory that play. I've tried to, you know, memorize parts of it. It's very difficult to do the whole thing. It I've is. known people who've devoted their whole lives to learning it. I don't mean yeah. actors, but people who love it, you know? Yeah. They never have learned it. Never. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now it's become a vogue to have female Hamlets. There's oh, two yes. or three of those. <clears throat> the odd thing for me about Hamlet or any Shakespeare is the fact that, there were no, that all the women's roles had to be played by boys. I don't see how it was ever possible have enough suspension of disbelief in those scenes in Shakespeare when a little boy is toddling about the stage and, and, and pretending to be uh, Gertrude, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How, did, how did they accept it? But they did. Suspension of disbelief? I don't know. But did you find it hard mastering Hamlet or not? Oh, no. I mean, it's... <laughs> you know, it, it, was, it was the most enjoyable experience I've ever had as an actor. It was also the most difficult and the most exhausting. You, I mean, just physically, it was also a very physical production. I would lose three, four pounds a night uh, on stage, you know. How long did it take you to prepare for it? Uh, I um, knew I was going to do the role about seven, eight months before we went into rehearsal. And we had a long rehearsal period, so I had all that time. And you actually rehearsed for seven or eight months? No, no, no. I had all that time to work uh, myself and research and also work with the director. We would get together. 
the uh, Kevin Klein, who's been playing Hamlet, and of course he is a very good athlete, as well, indeed an acrobat. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's helpful to him to be able to do that. In the in that last scene where the corpses are piling up on stage so fast, yeah. it's going to be wonderful. Yeah. What are you? Uh, have you always been a good athlete in that sense? Because it's an extremely physical role. By the time you get to the end of it. Yeah, I've I've always I was involved in athletics when I was younger and stuff. I always liked physical stuff. Even learning defense was necessary. <laughs> I think I saw Walter Hamden playing uh, Hamlet when he was in his 50s. <laughs> he wouldn't give up. Yeah. But, but the, the fencing was not too accurate. Yeah. There was always a chance that a middle-aged actor will stab himself. <laughs> and have a whole new ending to Hamlet. What a, it's, a, it's a play about suicide. What can you do? <laughs> I've been around so long that I saw John Barrymore. Ah. <laughs> now, but he was uh, older than Aiden. He was, yes. what, 31 or...? In his 30s, yes. yes. Mm -hmm. Is he, he still marvelous. considered the Hamlet? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, I think so. Any desire on that side to do Hamlet, Maurice? <laughs> I'd be fierce. I'd love to do Hamlet. <laughs> 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 I to do. I want to get more. I've been dancing all my life, and since I'm five years old, I'm 42 now. It's time to make a little change. <laughs> so I would love to do something like that. Yeah. You don't know how this is very exciting for me to be here, you know. This is very, first of all, I mean, I watch Marla all the time. I'm that girl on cable. <laughs> I do. So I was telling her, I was, <laughs> we were talking, and there's always a connection in life. I always find it's a connection. So I told her, the day, the, the engagement of my brother was Gregory Hines. We broke up the act, Hines, Hines and Dead, in I think 1971. And we really needed to make a lot of money on the last job because we owed American Express $10,000. <laughs> so we wanted to go to Las Vegas and there was no opening because we weren't big stars and we were equal billing. And so it was her father that said, well, I'll take them. They owe that money. Listen, I'll take them. And we finished our act at the Sands in Las Vegas with her father. He was very nice to do that because we were in trouble, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I will never forget that. Yeah. And to, to know that she was here just to, you know, we, not, we, we thanked him and it was just wonderful. But he's but, always helped me when I've needed 10,000. <laughs> 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 he went to the right man. Oh, baby. He was the right man at that time. <laughs> well, how many people in this room owe American Express $10,000? <laughs> Just a simple show of hands. <laughs> well, my brother and I, we used to use it. We were always supposed to use it for, for uh, you know, hotels and food and stuff. But I would buy all these shoes. I was into shoes. <laughs> and my brother was into camping equipment. <laughs> so we would just get out of, It was the first time signing. It was wonderful. You just, you know, and things just got into your hands. <laughs> but we didn't know that the money had to come. And American Express makes you pay right away. Yeah. You, know, you know, like Master Charge, you have to pay right away. <laughs> it, was, it was wonderful. I loved it. <laughs> well, that launched you, and then, and then what? Well, actually, I started at five years old, dancing, mm. uh, tap dancing. And then the first job, theatrically, Greg and I got was in The Girl in Pink Tights for Agnes DeMille. Oh, yes. She saw us, and David Atkinson, Charles Gold, and, and to be around all those ballerinas and ballet I wanted to do that. So I'd, I'd walk all the time, all turned out. All the time. <laughs> Meanwhile, you know, it's funny with tap dancers walking like that. So uh, from there, 
I, I love theater. I got into it at Mark Hellinger Theater. It was just a one in New Haven, you know, all that stuff you do. Agnes screaming. I like that. You know, that screaming. Get it right, you know. <laughs> so from there, I, didn't, I did Hines Hines a Day. We did clubs, 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 clubs. And then we broke up, and my first real experience was I got the part of Nathan Detroit in a company of Guys and Dolls with Debbie Allen was Adelaide and Leslie Uggams, who couldn't be here, was uh, Sarah, and Richard Roundtree. And I got the part, and I said, oh, Nathan Detroit, cute, you know, cute part. I didn't know he had the book of the show, Yeah, <laughs> you see. And I never had to learn dialogue in my life, because we did nightclubs. And we did a lot of improvisations, Mary Green and I. So I learned the whole play in a day and a half, mm. because I was so nervous about, you know, I'm working with actor actors here, you know, I mean, you have to be fierce, you can't jive, you got to know your lines. I'm very, I'm very disciplined. I was very disciplined. I like all that structure in the theater. So I learned it all, and I must have, by the time we got to Houston, we went to St. Louis first, and I'll never forget, I walked on that stage, and it's like they tell you. I was in the wings. I said, what is my first line? <laughs> I don't know my first line. It's a terrible feeling. But the minute I walked out there, I, I did a, a good job, not a great job. Because I forgot, I was in the scene and, and with Debbie, and she said, Maurice, that look, the panic look, where you know you do not know the next line. Oh, you know that. <laughs> I said, now, I can't stop tap dancing, because that ain't it. <laughs> So she gave me the line, it was, you know, the, how actors help each other out. That was my first, and I said, I'm going to love this. Well, by the time I got to Houston, I was so fabulous. I was so wonderful in the show. <laughs> I was so happy to be and doing dialogue and interaction with actors. And, oh, it was a great experience. I'll never, it changed my life. It changed my life. And then I did, when I was with Kayla, did UB, UB Blake, wonderful UB, and my brother and I did that. And I took over Spiskey Lays. Then I did this show, Uptown It's Hot, which, sorry to say, it did close. And uh, from here, I'm going to do a television series and do some other things. But I, I love the theater. I'm so grateful and happy to have been invited here because I've been doing theater since 1978. And this is the first, <laughs> first invitation, and I, I just, I feel like a little kid. I feel like a <laughs> <delight. laughs> I'm so I'm I watch you all the time. You're all very witty, by the way. You're very witty. Thank you. Maurice, how do you feel about the theater? Oh, I love it. And what I love about it especially is that it's a complete thing. You know, I've worked in film and television so much, and, and you have to come back the next day if you're lucky, sometimes two weeks later, and finish up what you started the, before. And I love the idea that it's all in one, and you go home and you don't have to remember you know, where you got to yesterday. How did you start in the theater? What, what was your beginning? Oh, where I think Glass study? Menagerie, and I, I did a road company of uh, Two for the Seesaw. Did you study in California? I studied with Sandy Meisner uh -huh. here, here. Uh, originally. And then he came out to California, and he, uh, I was under contract to Fox at that time, and Sandy taught all the Fox contract players, and <laughs> which was a wonderful idea, sure. except uh, he didn't like it, and he came back to New York. <laughs> but I was one of his students here, so he chose a lot of people that he'd worked with before. And it was wonderful for us out there. And so I did a lot of plays, and then Mike Nichols cast me in a London production of Barefoot in the Park, and I lived there for a year and did that. 
and that was wonderful too. And and then did I, you study while you were in London? While you were working there? No, but I went to the theater every minute. And and that was like studying. Yes. I saw the most wonderful productions of Flea in Her Ear and all of those mm -hmm. wonderful, wonderful things. Uh, black comedy with Albert Finney, Miss Julie with Maggie Smith and Albert mm -hmm. Finney. It was the most exciting season that I was there, and. Um, and then I was discovered, <laughs> and I did that girl for five years. And then I came back and studied with Lee Strasberg for four years. Mm -hmm. I felt that I'd um, lost a lot working in, in television, in a series especially, to do the same character every week. You learn an awful lot of shortcuts. You get very <laughs> clever at what you do. And, and, it's, and you also lose enthusiasm after a couple of seasons. You know, it's like, who do you have to know to get out of here? Um, <laughs> I kind of cleaned that up for you. <laughs> but uh, after three seasons, it is difficult to continue to give it the same kind of spirit. And also in uh, most television series, mine certainly, the character doesn't grow. It's a little bit like being Little Orphan Annie, you know. She didn't get more successful, you know. She didn't ever marry, you know. She just sort of stayed the same. And it's hard to, you know, go five years uh, with the same storyline and never get upset that you don't get a job. <laughs> <laughs> You know, that, that was my character, who just was very cheerful about the fact that she never got hired. You know? <laughs> and uh, never seemed to... You know, I'm not anywhere near that pleasant when I'm not hired. And, uh, and her relationship never worked out. So it was, it, was, it, was, it was odd. It was like being thrown into a time tunnel. So, um, well, now, when you were in England, so many English actors don't think it's necessary to do what everybody in America seems to think, which is to go to school and go to Sandy Meister and everybody yes. else, Strasbourg. But so many English actors affect at least to despise that. They all think you, you learn by doing. Yes. Uh, and you lived there for a year, so you were teaching yourself. You weren't going to school there because yeah. it really probably wasn't a school to go to. Well, I don't know. I don't know if I was clever <laughs> enough to think about it. I was, yeah. I was doing you know, my eight performances a week and, uh, and going to the theater and just trying to, you know, Stay awake, you know. Yeah. And also it was the miniskirt hot time. I was also dancing in the discotheques and doing a lot of other <laughs> things, <laughs> and very excited to be away from home. Uh, you know, I mean, out of the country for the first time without my father calling up, who always was sure there were men growing on trees in my apartment. It was the <laughs> first time I'd ever been that far away, so it was, it was quite wonderful. I saw Mike Nichols as sort of this godfather that had taken me away from from Marymount and my family. Yeah. <laughs> All of the things that have been yeah. stifling me. So Leaping over the wall. <laughs> yes, I really was. But your father was very proud of you from the beginning in, in, in making the leap. Oh, he was always very proud. In fact, the night we opened in Barefoot was a big hit and uh, everybody came backstage crying and thrilled and happy and giggling. And my father had a distinct look on his face that could only be called relief. That's, all. That's what he felt. It was yeah. like, oh, thank God, she's not going to throw herself out a window. This is yeah. going to be all right. Yeah. Because he had always uh, told me that he didn't want me to be an actress. My godmother is Loretta Young, and my father, who he is, and I was just surrounded by all these, you know, actors. And, and the idea was really that, and even Loretta used to tell me that this, this is not a business for women. And, and so I kind of had the idea all my life that it wasn't a business for women. So I, uh, I graduated as an English teacher from Southern Cal. I, I had, you know, I figured, well, that would give me a piece of paper to do something because everybody <laughs> had told me how, you know, no matter if you got what kind of school plays you did. And I was named the best actress in my university, and my father said, big deal. You know how many universities there are in America and how many best actresses there are? It doesn't mean anything. And so he really discouraged me. 
But the minute he saw that I wanted to do it, every time I would do summer stock somewhere in Laguna, La Jolla, and all the places of the Betty Davis Theater and all of them on the West Coast, uh, the family would conveniently take a, a house nearby or stay in a hotel for five weeks. You know, they were very, very supportive. You know, he would say, "This is a terrible idea." Now, you know, let me go over your lines with you. You know, he was. Are you the only member of the family who, in your generation that acts, or are there other... My brother's a producer. He produces Golden Girls yeah. and Benson. He's quite successful, but nobody else wanted to act. Yeah. My sister wanted to sing for a while. In fact, she opened in Las Vegas, your spot. Mm -hmm. I don't really like Las Vegas. I must I even have either. to be dragged there. Oh. But we used to have to go there at Easter when my father performed, and there's nothing stranger than Easter in Las Vegas. <laughs> 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 and uh, we... Uh, my, my sister performed on stage and my father and I were standing off stage hiding so that no one would see us because I was already kind of well known at the time and he certainly was well known and we were watching her backstage my father had his big black cigar in his mouth and I said oh she's so wonderful you know being the emotional one oh daddy isn't she great and he said she'll never make it <laughs> and he was right she quit I mean, he said she, does, she doesn't have the kind of drive you have and that was the end of it Glenn, the, I heard you first as a singer. You were beautiful. Didn't you sing in Barnum? Yes. Yeah, beautifully, as Thank I remember. You. Did you start to be a singer? Or how did you no. want to be an actress singing? Actress who sings. Oh, that's good. I thought you were a singer who acts. No, no. Tell us about Barnum. I, th I was fascinated by you in that particular play. Ah, oh. <clears throat> was that your first Broadway play? No, no, no. it's about my no. fifth, I think. <clears throat> the, um, it was the second musical I've been in. I've been in Rex, oh. <laughs> which is about Henry VIII and mm -hmm. all the wives whose heads he cut off, and it wasn't a great subject for a musical. <laughs> <laughs> we tried. <laughs> that was an education unto itself. But, but Rex was, was actually quite... Quite wonderful. I learned a great deal in Rex. I mean, uh, Barnum. Um, it was directed by Joe Layton, who was really in absolute mm -hmm. top form. Yeah. And the when I went to audition, my agent heard that they were looking for a New England spinster type. <laughs> I hadn't done Garp, so I guess they they I don't know. But they so I went in with absolutely no makeup, the most plain, you know, my hair pulled back, and they kind of. And then I had forgotten my music. Huh? <laughs> and so I kind of stood at the piano with Cy Coleman and sang a few lines of, um, I'm going to learn to read and write. <laughs> and, uh, and then they, they called me back and, and they told my agent that I should try to look as pretty as possible. <laughs> and then I learned that in musicals, even if you're a spinster, you still wear lashes. You know? <laughs> it's different. <laughs> And, that ran and I got time. the part. Yeah. I was absolutely thrilled. And it yeah. was a difficult part. I yes. worked my tail off in that mm. role because mm -hmm. she was the kind of damper on this incredible man yes. who was winning everyone's hearts and mm -hmm. walking on tightrope. And, and, um, but you made the character sympathetic, which was difficult to do. Well, I, first of all, I, I thought that they should have a one, the audience should believe that they loved each other very much, yes. that there should be some sort of passion there. Yeah. because that was the heart of the story. Right. And I'm a great believer in passion and that if it should be there, people should believe it, that it's yeah. there. And Jim Dale and I um, got along very well and, and I think we were able to achieve mm -hmm. that. But Joe Layton taught me great things, how to really 
I remember I had a first line where I had to yell down from this box and I was too shy, you know. <clears throat> and Joe kept at me, kept at me. And finally I did it, you know, and it was an, an, an extra dimension that I'd never kind of stepped into. Did that continue doing the run of the play? Did you continue working? Absolutely. I, I remember about two days before I left saying, that's how that line should be said. <laughs> but that, because the book was so thin, um, it was really a play that was um, conjured out of nothing, literally, and that was its charm. But that character was quite thin, and so I, that I had honed it down to, uh, you know, in, in comedy to get a laugh. Yeah, <laughs> was just literally how how you turned your head at a certain moment, or how long you. It was it was, that was fascinating to try to get something. Um, That's how you really learned in the theater. Yeah, and so I, I was always working at it. And Jim was very good at saying, well, if you really want to get a laugh here, try this, you know, which, mm -hmm. which I had not known about. And that's always great, like what Mike can do. Yeah. Um, what, how long did Barnum run? That had a long run. I was in it for nine months. <clears throat> because a lot of people wonder, how do you bear oh, to ran, be in anything? It ran much longer yeah. than that. But, but how, yeah. how can you bear to be even for that long in a play? A lot of people are puzzled by how you keep up a le oh, level please. of energy. let it happen. Yes, yes. of course. Yeah. Absolutely. I know. I wish your show was still going. Yeah. Um, well, that's, um, that's what we do. Mm. Yeah. You know, I, I, that's what we do. We go eight times a week to the theater, and we try to make it look like it's the first time we've done it. That's, that's our craft. And if you can't do that, you might as well not try, try to get into the theater. the most important thing. That uh, because there. also, even if you have material that is not Shakespeare and it's not, you know, like uh, something like Barnum, you're always working at something yeah. because you have the audience mm -hmm. and you have your fellow actors and you're trying to, con you know, you're trying to make something work. Mm -hmm. um, and... Uh, I find that the hardest thing in, a, in an extended run is getting myself to the theater. <laughs> Once I'm there, it's wonderful. But actually getting, especially in spring, you know, the sun is these gentle, wonderful spring evenings and everyone's coming home and having dinner and you have to go out and go down to the stairs. You know, it's hard. And your it? husband, you're leaving. Yeah, your husband's <laughs> sitting there having a drink. That's the hard part. And your so, husband is in Paris at the Ritz, where you should be right. at the moment. Yeah. Do we come to you? That's now? the discipline of it too. I feel like theater. You, you get back to the to the craft, and you get back to the discipline, and it, you learn. You earn. I feel like uh, when I come back to theater, then I earn a right to maybe go and do another movie or something. Then you can get your Winnebago for a little while. <laughs> but Mike Nichols theater, taught you different. a lot, didn't he? Oh yes, over in London, absolutely, yeah, and time. and here too. Yes, he's so smart. He directs with such love. That's the yeah. wonderful thing that I'm sure you noticed yeah. as well. There's such encouragement and love. He's so protective of his actors. He doesn't let anybody else, you know, talk to us about anything or let us know any bad news of any kind. When we, you know, when we're rehearsing. And he's just so open about it. Every time there was a problem during rehearsal, he said, "Let's go back to the table then and talk about it." And we go back and sit down and read the play again. And, He's also so loving toward the playwright. He would constantly say, you know, Andrew, what do you think? Is that yeah. what you meant there? You know, or maybe, well, you found this. Andrew, what do you think? Should we expand that a bit? Yes. I mean, there was never the feeling that we weren't all in this totally together and equally as collaborators. What's his own feeling? You must know. I have no idea about uh, himself 
having wanted to be a playwright or any of that, because of this intense sympathy. And after all, at the beginning, uh, he and May were writing yes. their own material and yes. they're intensely creative yes. on that level, on a literary level, so he could, plainly could do it. But yes. did he ever talk about that? No, he never did. He never mentioned any of that with us. Mm -hmm. But he's clearly, I mean, so able. Yeah. You know, clearly. One of the most moving things that, that I will never forget about Mike uh, Nichols is when we went into tech rehearsals for the real thing, and we had an extremely intricate set. It was um, on a revolve, and the whole idea was they wanted to make it almost cinematic in the, in the quickness of how the scenes were changed. In absolute darkness, you would all of a sudden, in split seconds, see a totally new set. And to achieve that technically was very difficult. And Tony Walton built this brilliant set. Um, but when we got into text, Mike poured that kind of love and attention onto the technicians. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he would let them do it again and again to give them not only a chance to perfect mm -hmm. what they were good at and yes. to sh let them um, give to the production in that way. Uh, and it was, it was just magnificent that they'd, they'd run the set in darkness and he'd say, no, I saw a little glint of something. Now, where was it? Was it this ashtray? Was it this corner of this book here? <laughs> And um, again and again and again, yes. and just sitting there and giving the stagehands a sense of their worth mm -hmm. Aiden, uh, was wonderful. You yeah. worked with some interesting directors in Chicago, didn't you? Yeah. <coughs> Tell yeah. us about them. Well, I, um, Bob Falls, who uh, directed Hamlet, was probably... The How did you get to Chicago? What do you mean? He was not by train, but I mean, how <laughs> 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 in Chicago? <clears throat> Through my mother's. Okay. I mean, uh, what do you mean, what brought me back mm -hmm. at that time? I still, live, I still live in Chicago. I have a little apartment here, but and I... And did you study there? Or? Yeah, I started off studying there. And um, I love Chicago. All right, go on. I didn't need to interrupt <laughs> you. That's a standard question. <laughs> no, 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 Were you at the Goodman or... No, Bob work. Falls, I, I, actually John Malkovich uh, directed me in a play. That's what I thought. I that, think he's a marvelous director, isn't yes, he? Yes, yes, <laughs> he is, he is. And that gave me my equity card, yes. which was uh, one, one of these. Um, <laughs> which play was that? It, Shirley Basin. What it actually was, was you rehearsed for a week and then you performed it for a week with the script in hand and staging, but it was equity and everything. And I was uh, the only man, and there was 13 women in it. <laughs> so it was a good, it was a good introduction to professional theater. <laughs> no. But no, uh, so Bob Falls is an incredible director. The, the man who directed Hamlet, he now runs the Goodman. Yeah, that's what uh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. There's so much theater in Chicago. It's fantastic. Chicago, and then. Uh, Seattle, <coughs> uh, which has something like 20 theater groups in that comparatively mm. small city. But Chicago, in history, has always been great for theater. Yeah. So it shouldn't be surprising to us Hicks on this side <laughs> of the Appalachian Mountains that there's something coming out of Chicago every yeah. little while. Well, I think a lot of it has to do with economics. Economics. Mm -hmm. That's why um, there's, there's so much theater there, because it's so much more economically feasible. 
Also, there are wonderful audiences in Chicago, yes. and they respond. They're quick. Uh -huh. It's marvelous to do comedy to them. They laugh spontaneously. Uh -huh. and, yeah. <laughs> Is this an ethnic distinction of some kind? <laughs> <laughs> They're quicker than you we are? I think you, so. You, I you think New York is a very Broadway critical. Show. You, you oh, no. off-Broadway. Is there any yeah. reason for that? Do you, do you feel happier off-Broadway? I think I do. I, I've never had the experience, so I don't know. But... Um, um, the reason I haven't done Broadway is uh, no one ever offered <laughs> at this point. But um, uh, I would—I think I would like to do Broadway sometime. But I think it's—it's it's think it's an enormous. Uh, I don't know. Broadway, Broadway. It's so big, and, and now because of uh, maybe ticket prices and stuff, maybe maybe I have a, a wrong view of it, a cliched view. I mean, I, uh, I would feel like you'd have to be so funny or something, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, uh, so, so extra special. The, the fact is that, that the difference between Broadway and Off-Broadway now is practically metaphysical because yeah. it has nothing to do with anything except certain rules that have been set up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so then in terms of it's being intimidating, you would think it wouldn't have, wouldn't have had that happen at all. Yeah. Uh, plainly, Maurice, you're not frightened of it. No, although I'm one of those, I, I like touring. I love touring. I don't, I don't like to stay in one place too long. I think, though, it's become very serious on Broadway. I'm very, I will not come back to Broadway for a long, long time. I have a, I've made these announcements on stages and at the end of my show. I'm, I, I'm always surprised when I get invited on shows because I'm very, I don't say a lot of things people want me to say a lot of the times. And I think Broadway right now with, with uh, all my friends are in big deal and they were very concerned about Fosse's show, that there's a, the matinee now is 47.50. I think that it's become, uh, I think the ticket prices for the audiences now are obscene. And I don't think, because when you go, you know, I know, it's, I know from my viewpoint, I have a lot of friends who want to come and a lot of, my family, you know, uh, live in Harlem, Philadelphia, and by the time they get a babysitter, dinner, park the car, it it's no longer fun. And so I find when I cut on Broadway, I've always, my whole life has been geared to pleasing an audience. I mean, that's how my grandmother was a Cotton Club showgirl, I have all this tradition, and it's all about being grateful you're there and pleasing them. So I find when they the audience has come to Broadway. They come there after paying that forty-seven fifty. They sit there like this. <laughs> <laughs> so I walk out there and I say, I, I got criticized by a couple of the critics. Say Maurice never stops dancing, even on the curtain calls. He's dancing. He goes, I, for that forty-seven fifty, I'm dancing. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that it's, you know, I have a whole thing about critics. I mean, they're angry at me now, and the whole thing about that and the personal part. I can get you lots of stuff. You don't know. <laughs> no, so nobody's really angry at you anymore. I don't yeah, no. I, I'd like to uh, come back to Broadway, but I want to, you know what I'm doing? I'm going to go to a theater in Brooklyn. There's a theater in Brooklyn. 3,800, 3,800. Somebody here from Brooklyn. From Brooklyn. <laughs> I was raised in Brooklyn, so I'm going back to Flatbush Avenue, because theater is everywhere. It ain't just on Broadway. So I'm going to Flatbush Avenue, this theater, where people can pay $20, $25, 
and see a show and enjoy themselves and still have money to eat for the week. This brings me to having to say, we have to go into the role of agent. What is your agent going to say about you not doing a Broadway show or going back to Brooklyn? And then I want to talk about the role of agents in your careers and how they help them well, my, or hinder. My well, let's agent, start with you. My agent, uh, they work for me. Mm -hmm. I don't work for them. They work, represent me. So we talk about it and I make a decision. He was upset. He asked me, uh, Shelly Schultz at ICM, he asked me, well, do you want to come back to Broadway? And offered me a couple of other shows to come back. And I said, no, I don't. I said, I'd like to do, after hearing more about the television series, I don't know about the series they want me to do. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to do that, and I need to make a power base so I can do other things, you know. But my agents, you know, and my manager, Stanley Kay, they more or less listen to what I have to say and advise me. But the decision is mine. Can we talk about agents? What, how you got an agent and what? What role they play in your life? How do they help mold your career? My agents usually just stare at me with their mouths open because I don't know. I have had this kind of odd career. Uh, I always seem to be walking away from where everybody else is going. And um, when I walked away from my television series, everybody said, well, that's just insane. You just don't do that. But I didn't want to do it anymore. And when I took off a few years ago to study with Lee Strasberg, I was going to study for one year. I don't know, somehow four years went by uh, because I, I knew that I needed to go deeper, that I, that I could do what I had been doing since Barefoot in the Park or, and continue to do that, or I could figure out what else was inside of me and how, how to get there. You know, it's that awful thing about seeing it but not knowing how to get there. Mm -hmm. And so I went to see Lee Strasberg and he said, of course, come in. And I said, I'd like to take a year off of my career. And my agents all said, no, no, no. And I said, yes, yes, yes. And then it was four years. And I learned so much. Uh, it was exciting work. Everybody said, my God, you haven't worked in four years. I said, are you kidding? I've been doing Ibsen and Strindberg and Chekhov and things that nobody would ever have let me anywhere near. Um, the, the movie, uh, Nobody's Child, is a character I never could have gotten anywhere near had, had I not studied with Lee. And so I think agents are wonderful. They get you very good deals when you figure out what it is you want to do. That's what I have found them very good at. As far as understanding your own journey, I don't really think I've ever found an agent who understood the journey, mm -hmm. uh, where you want to go, where, what, how you want to express yourself. It's so terribly personal that it has nothing to do with career. And I think your whole life as an actress actor you are it's the struggle between work and career and at some point you I think we all pick work as what where you have to grow and not your career that's true of all the arts and the struggle <laughs> I don't think anybody ever said it better than you've just said oh, no, yeah, that's yeah. really beautiful yeah, yeah. because the, the lucky artist in writing in any, in any field is when the journey and the career happen to mm -hmm. go in the same direction yes. at the same time. And everybody said, God, that looks easy. Yes. And, yes. and it isn't like that at all. No. It's, it's a consequence of, of having to make them go the yes. same way. But that, that is beautiful. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Isabel, could I leave the agents for a minute? I'm very curious about Sam Shepard. Do you know him? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you want to know? Can you fix her up? <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about him. Um, what kind of person is he? 
Sam? Yeah, Sam. Knows <laughs> 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 him well. <laughs> Mr. Shepard is a very nice man. Um, he, he's, uh, as a director, he's, he's very... He's very laid back. He gives the actors a tremendous amount of a tremendous amount of rain uh, to, to, to just experiment. An editor, to just experiment yeah. and stuff. Sam, Sam is uh, Sam is very down to earth in, in a lot of ways. I mean, he likes to go out and throw a few back, shoot a little pull, you know. <laughs> um, uh, he's he's funny. He's Remember the human race. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But yeah, he's, he's, I, I like Sam. I, I don't know. When he, he gets a tremendous amount of work done, which is, which is wonderful in the course of being a member of the human race. Yeah. And it seems almost inexhaustible. There's a lot there. Yeah. I always think of him as compiling this immense mosaic that someday yes. will be one gigantic play. It's just Shepard. Yeah. It'll be called. <laughs> yeah. And it, it'll be almost Wagnerian, and people can play it all in pieces. Yeah. Not unlike what, I guess, Robert Wilson is accumulating in a, in, in a different way. Yeah. But it is a thrilling thing that he's able to do that. Mm -hmm. When he directs, does he explain the play? Because no. I, <laughs> 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 Very good question. <laughs> I never quite understand his play. <laughs> <laughs> do you, as an actor, understand most everything I, I have to, uh, if I don't, I pretend like I do. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> well, what Marlowe said is true of, of him, too. Shepard always was on his journey, and it just happened that he's now become really what amounts yeah. to fashionable. Yes. Yes. But that's not going to alter his journey. No. It may even do harm yeah. to his that's career, right. but it's, the journey is going to be, I yeah. would think, paramount with him own. always. Yeah. And that's tremendous. That's yes. wonderful. He doesn't yeah. need to explain anything. Mm -hmm. it's, it's for us to worry about that, or somebody, in a hundred years if they want it. Yeah. And he also, like Mauricio, says he doesn't want Broadway. He mm -hmm. likes to do his plays only off Broadway. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, Glenn, that's too bad for Broadway. Mm -hmm. Do you, well, his influence is felt on Broadway. Oh, that's the yes, but we need those theaters open. That's right. <laughs> Glenn, you want to talk just a little bit about your agent and your role and your journey? Because you started this on a lovely oh. phrase and a very important <laughs> one, too. Um, where did you study? I didn't study, really. Uh -huh. I went to... Um, William and Mary in Virginia, mm -hmm. and was a member of the theater department there. But my favorite courses weren't in the theater, though I did a lot of theater. They have a wonderful um, Phi Beta Kappa Hall there. And what I loved about that, I was older when I went to college, so I really knew what I wanted. I knew I would always wanted to be an actress, but life had kind of taken me in other directions for a while. But I also wanted to know a lot of other stuff. I studied mm -hmm. philosophy. And anthropology and biology and I was really thrilled by it but at the same time for the first time I was able to do concentrated theater so I I count that and I also had a wonderful mentor there Harold uh, Howard Scammon who I think sensed my in the theater department yes sensed my seriousness and and in that arena was able in a wonderful way to guide me did you and study voice at the same time? Because you must have. No, I studied voice. I studied voice several years after I, I came to New York. But what what Howard did for me is he got me to um, 
increase my speaking range, oh, yeah. so you can have a wide range of, of, of vocal speaking. Not, um, and I, I learned that one summer doing uh, outdoor theater, The Common Glory, down in Williamsburg, mm. a play about Thomas Jefferson, and it was a, a, a it seated over 2,000 people, and there were mm. no mics. So I learned to talk Terrific. like this, <laughs> um, to, to project, to project deeper and deeper. So, I, the journey overwhelms me. I don't know even where to begin to talk about my journey. I still feel like I'm in the beginning of my journey. I, I still feel very hungry about what I want to fulfill in myself. Um, I don't know where that hunger came from, and I don't particularly want to know, um, but it's there, and. Um, I've gone through, I got a, a bit of a beating this past year. I did a, but I must say, uh, getting into <coughs> movies was one thing, but I always come back to theater. And um, I'd done two movies in a row last year and went back to the Harold Clerman Theater on 42nd mm -hmm. Street and did a, a play um, that was a, a grand experience. Which was that? The childhood, yes. Yes. Um, and, uh, but I took a major beating for my movie Maxi, um, which I did. I worked very hard on it, and I loved that character, two characters that I played. And I believed in that, and yeah. I still believe in that. I thought it was, a, for what it was, was a wonderful movie. But it was the first time that I'd been viciously attacked personally. I don't know why, and, um, because you were great in it. You really were. I don't were. know. I don't, I don't, I'm not, you know, I have no apologies to make. No. But the thing is that for the first time, they, they struck me at my very core. Where you ask yourself, have I been fooling myself all these years? Mm -hmm. and, and you lose your heart, and I'd never lost my heart. See? And, but it took me a while <laughs> to, to recover from that. And I've always had said, I, you know, I've always have, have been very picky about what I've chosen. It had to be something that, that reached me and I thought had some value. And, um, and I thought, if anything, going through all that just made that stronger. Because mm -hmm. I realized that there always will be people um, who will tell you you're wonderful and then they'll tell you you're horrible. It's going to be a huge cycle. Um, and if you don't just choose from your heart and from your soul, your journey, then you have nothing. Because that's the only thing we have to go by, mm -hmm. is, is who we are and, and what we choose and how we choose to do it. And um, so it, it, it kind of burned that, you know, it kind of was like all the, all the uh, other stuff was burned away and, 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 I'm, and it was simplified in my mind. Mm -hmm. But it was very hard to go through. Isn't it amazing that afterward we are grateful even for yes. anguish? Yeah. It, it seems so strange, but it's always the case. We would not have suffered, it turns out, after mm. the fact, although it's unbearable almost at the yeah. moment. That's a that. very important point that you raise and how you work with criticism and how you react to it. Could we go around and... Just <laughs> no, I'll leave you out. <laughs> I don't get to start. We had enough time. I don't think so. No. <laughs> how does how do you how do you react to criticism? How do you react to a review? You well. <laughs> hey. I, I think you know. Basically, you go. Okay, if I'm if I'm gonna believe the good ones, then I better believe the bad ones. So you just. Uh, I think you can't give uh, the press the power to 
to define who you are or to destroy you. You just cannot do that because if you do, they will. And they will also, um, I, I think a lot of times with uh, actors that are just becoming very well known and very well respected, they get over, overblown up and then they gotta knock them down. You know, so, but meanwhile, while I say that, when uh, I do a play and I open the review, I don't read the review, I look for my name. <laughs> <laughs> and then I read the review. Same you know, thing so, in the movie. Then, um, so, you, so you are affected by it. I, I've uh, sometimes gotten, there's a couple times where I've gotten terrible reviews where I totally agreed with the critic. <laughs> and uh, I, no, I just said, he's right. He's absolutely right. I was lost and, and, uh, in plays and stuff. So. I haven't, um, I haven't had the worst experiences like, uh, so I haven't had horrible experiences like that yet. I remember my first review, my first review. <laughs> Didn't matter at all, but. No. This, I, I was a replacement in this play, it was my first play, and um, I had actually done it originally in a workshop, and then they figured they needed a Chicago name to, to get it to be a hit. <laughs> So, um, and then I replaced him, and uh, this college newspaper journalist kid came out, and he said, Aidan Quinn is a bumbling, plays a bumbling young poet in a bumbling, mumbling <laughs> manner. <laughs> I cut it out, <laughs> and I put it on my wall. And it's, uh, it has fueled me for many years. <laughs> that was my first review. And I hope you stop mumbling. <laughs> we don't know that he was mumbling. That was only a goddamn critic go. who said that. You know, I think the young actors mumble too much. I really do. I think they should. We haven't touched on your. Oh, and am I glad? Your reaction. <laughs> well, I've had a very strange month. Uh, I was practically canonized for nobody's child and assassinated for Social Security. <laughs> so, so it was very odd. I mean, you, have to, you have to be assassinated <laughs> before you can be canonized. I got the other way this, uh, this month. Very, very so it was a very strange month. And I realized, you know, my, my father used to always say, you know, don't. In fact, he had a poem about criticism. It, was, it ended with, and if, you, and if there isn't anyone criticizing you, then you haven't done very much. <laughs> so I, I, I kind of take that to heart, but it hurts. Of course it hurts. And the, and the truth is, is that you do take it to your heart. And sometimes it can clip your wings a little. And I think the greatest uh, accomplishment you can have as an artist is, is to not allow it to clip your wings. Yes, it's going to hurt your feelings, and you're going to cry. I cry. I also cry when they're good. <laughs> I'm so happy that somebody has recognized my work and that it's grown or that it's it got the character. It's a thrill for me. A thrill when somebody comes backstage after the play and says, "I saw so a social security. I saw nobody's child, and my family had this, and you did it exactly the way it was." There's nothing like that in the world because that's what you've struggled for. That's what you struggled for. In Maxi, whether somebody liked it or not, I didn't see it, but I'm sure I would have liked it because I love your work. Mm -hmm. So it, and I know whatever you did, it was it was from you, and it was truthful. Yeah. And that's what we're struggling for: is this yeah. great truth. And if somebody says you weren't truthful, it's it's a sin because yeah. what all you want is to be truthful, yeah. you know. But 
But not to, I, not to allow it to clip you, I think it, what, what Glenn so beautifully, the way she put it, was made me cry just to hear her because I know that feeling and it does slow you down. And the greatest accomplishment is to not allow it to slow you well, down. That's the important thing, you is down. not allow it. Yes. And I do not have any control of this, but right now we have to stop and take a break. <laughs> no, we're coming back. <laughs> so please don't go away. We're just going to take a short break and we'll be right back to working the theater. Don't go away. <laughs> We're continuing with the American Theatre Wing seminars on working in the theatre. These seminars are coming to you from the City University Graduate Center of New York, and as I've said again and again, right in the heart of Times Square, right where the theatre is. Today's seminar is on the performance, and we have a wonderful panel, and I will ask if briefly we can continue with it and have Brendan Gill and Jean Dalrymple, our co-moderators, introduce once more the panel to you. And then we're going to go on with questions from the audience, and we have loads of questions to ask these wonderful panelists. Jean and Brendan, will you just quickly introduce your panelists, please? Yes, on, on my far right is Aidan Quinn, and uh, nearest to me is Glenn Close. And uh, Jean? On my left, way over there, is... is uh, what is your name? <laughs> <laughs> it's that first line. Oh, right. It's that first line. Marlo Thomas. <laughs> Maurice Hines. <laughs> well, I'm Isabel Stevenson. And I'm president of the American Theatre Wing. And as such, I'm going to say, please come up and ask the first question. And would you say to whom the question is directed? Okay, my name is Jamie Simon, and my question is for basically Marlowe, but Glenn can throw something in if she feels like it. Um, and I have a master's in dance, and I think you're all wonderful, but that's okay. Um, do you feel that it's better for an actress to keep herself open to more than one thing, like in commercials, film, theater, if she desires to or possibly can, or better to focus in on one aspect? You mean one medium, is that yeah. what you mean? Like for well, just theater? I don't know how Ben feels, but I, I, I would think that most of us want to just go where the good material is and where the good parts are. And whether it's in television or film or, or stage, wherever it is that you can grow and learn some more about what you can do. You know, I think in the early part of your career, you work to show what you can do. And as you get older, you work to learn what you can do. <laughs> and and, and that depends on where the part is. I agree. <laughs> Thank you. My name is Victor Brock. I'm the one person from Brooklyn who applauded before. <laughs> okay. I also work with Manhattan Arts. Um, my question was directed to Maurice. Ray, the statement he made earlier about going back to Brooklyn, to Flatbush, to perform, but it's really for anybody who is an actor, and it also concerns a little bit of perhaps a relationship between actors and power structure, which is something else I think he was getting at. Yeah. Uh, do actors have uh, any responsibility to, and should they, become more involved in helping to deal with the power structure in the theater, whether it's through 
major theater or legitimate institutions such as universities, Brooklyn College, NYU, etc., to help promote more local community theater as well as regional theater? And if so, how can they do that? It's a long question. Yeah. <laughs> I, myself, that's part of what I want to do. I want to go back to my community. I was raised in Harlem, and uh, I've been going up there a lot recently uh, and seeing theater up there. And I want to go back and start a children's school and, and do all that. That's part of my journey, you know. And, but I think the system as it stands in the theater for me, coming from my viewpoint, it amazed me. Uh, and this not, was not among the actors, and certainly not a lot of people, but there was a lot of racism that I found in the theater, in the system of the very heavy financial, the big productions, especially coming from a dance background and having to listen to my friends who I still take three classes a day. And I still see the struggle that the black dancer goes through and the black actor goes through. You know, I'm great friends with Howard Rollins and he's a brilliant actor and can get a movie every three years. It's ridiculous. And so I'm very involved I've become politically aware of that. And so I need to go back into theater, into in, in regional theater. Among actors, I find, which is a wonderful thing for me, no racism at all, I found, because we're about quality work and working with each other. Will, you go, will you go back and create theater in, in your community? There's no doubt about it. I have to. I'm driven to. That's my hunger. Mm -hmm. Now, that's what I'm going to do. That's fun. Would you, next question. My name is Grace Naughton, and I have a question for Glenn Close. After you go through, th through something as difficult as you went through, how do you get your heart back? First of all, you have wonderful friends. <laughs> and if you're lucky, you have a great family. And you go back to, to um, those people. And um, then it just, I, I, time does its thing, as it always does, you know. Um, and um, I, I, I how do I get it? How do I get it back? I just I, I refuse not to believe. You know, I, I don't know if I can really answer that question. I think um, it's a very difficult business um, when you're starting. It's difficult when you're just starting to get known. It's sometimes even more difficult when you're getting a, a lot known uh, because you never want to lose yourself and your sense of proportion, your <coughs> sense of where you are. Um, and it's a constant, it's a constant journey. That's why I didn't know even where to begin to talk about it, because it's something that's a constant factor in your life. One thing and I'd like to, to interrupt to, to say, Glenn and I were talking before during the intermission about uh, Benefactors, her play, <clears throat> which is on Broadway, and contrary to what anybody could have believed about uh, a play as serious as Benefactors, that it is run month after month after month, that it's a really big hit. And it's not a play which is sympathetic to the ordinary Broadway audience that there is such a thing. It is the actors in that play that have made that play a hit. And it is Glenn's character, the character the other people do, but Glenn's character as a human being is such a strong factor in that. And I've no doubt that part of the anguish that you felt is also able to translate itself into the performance you give in Benefactors. And that is what the audience is responding to. And that's why it's a hit. It's the most optimistic sign on Broadway that oh, Broadway has had in it's years phenomenal. that that play is I, I, running like that. But it, it springs yeah. from you people putting it on. It's wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> while, while you're talking about what we talked about before we came on, 
Glenn mentioned the long run and the difference between the run <coughs> in, in the middle when the director came back and pulled up the entire cast again. Not that they, they felt that they needed it, they didn't know that they needed it. I think if you would just touch on that for a minute, it would be most helpful. Well, we, we opened on, the, we started our first preview on the 12th of December, we opened on the 22nd, and our director, who was English, um, had to go back to London and uh, start rehearse, rehearsals for and open another show. And so we were uh, children without a father for three months. Uh, usually a director comes back and um, kind of brings a wonderfully objective perspective on everything, which you, you very much need. Um, but we were kind of on our own for three months, three and a half months. And we felt a great need for, for him. We went through all kinds of different configurations yeah. because it's a very close company. and. Um, you're bound to kind of, you know, <laughs> metamorphose together. But so it was a great relief when he came back because he was able to look at it um, with a clear eye and say, that doesn't work, that does work, uh, go back to what you did before. I like, you know, and we just, so <laughs> it gave us a great new. Is that happening in Social Security? Yes, Mike calls it taking out the improvements. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, he does. He comes back. We've only <laughs> been open a few weeks, but he's already been back and taken out some of the improvements. <laughs> I guess that's one of the things that do not take place in either movies or television that you've been right. talking about. The performance is there and it's frozen. That's right. They just put the, the camera on somebody else. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> it haunts you forever. Next uh, question. My name is Angela Littleton, and my question is for Aidan Quinn. Um, I want to know if your thoughts become the thoughts of your character while you're on the stage. I mean, I realize you have to think about, you know, blocking and whatnot, but do you find yourself thinking what that character would be thinking just before you say your lines? Yeah, I think, I think to, a, to a large extent, uh, it's one of the things about, uh, uh, that you learn through working is, is that sometimes, especially in the long run, and we're talking about doing eight shows a week and you're, done over a hundred performances, sometimes uh, you can't be fully there every night and every moment and sometimes, but just if you go through the process of, of like hitting the buttons of, of the thought process, you can find yourself there emotionally and physically, even w if your mind is like, uh, <laughs> 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 oh, I said that? You know, I did that, you know, so, so sometimes, yeah, I think, I think to a large extent, but sometimes you can be thinking about, you know, other things too, but to, to a large extent, I think. Do you ever have performances where that second voice is screaming in your ear? Uh -huh. And you're trying to concentrate, and for some of you says, oh, look, oh, your hair looks l lousy. Who's that? What's that person doing down the second row? Um, uh, that was all right, but let's see yeah. if you can do better in a few yeah. lines. You're gonna, you might forget the next line. Okay. Yeah, I said, ah! <laughs> Or you look out, you look out, and you see like a friend or an actor, and you go. <laughs> 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 or you hear it though. As I was saying, you know, yeah. <laughs> that can happen if you just get very tired. Yeah. Know. I think so. What do you do when you see that actor and your friend and it pulls you out of the park? What do you call upon? You know, well, when it's. <laughs> when when in, in, I was talking about a particular uh, incident with me when I. Uh, it was a section of the play where I sort of look out this way and I look across and I had just worked with um, Robert De Niro um, 
a year ago in a film, and I think he's one of the great actors of all time. And uh, he's also a good friend, so I admire him. And I didn't know he was there, and I looked out and I saw him. I went. Let's <laughs> 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 get, get it going, Aiden. <laughs> you, know, you know, sometimes in, in, uh, when I was doing uh, uh, Nathan Detroit, I, I had no technique as an actor, but I, be, I became my Uncle Sid who used to run numbers up in Harlem. You know? <laughs> that was it. So, and Nathan was this shifty guy. So in the, it, it was a lot of black people who came to see it in Washington. And in the gospel church, when you're really singing, they do this. You know what I'm talking about, baby? They do this. <laughs> so, I got it, I'm, I'm really, Nathan Detroit, I'm, well, I'm doing this line, me and Debbie are doing this scene. All of a sudden we both, we had to look out at the audience, and oh, we saw a bunch of hands going like this. <laughs> you know, we, we, we knew we had made it, baby, the gospel uh, way. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It was <laughs> Next question. My name is Murtis Nixon, and I'm a novice actor. And my question is for Marlo Thomas. And uh, my daughter's uh, journey was influenced when she was about five by your... Uh, album free to be you and me and i was wondering how your journey has been influenced by that or whether that journey is a sub journey too no that's pretty much the center of uh of what i've always felt is that you have to be free to be who you are and not listen to any other voice but your own and i made that album for my niece uh she was the first baby born of um, of the offsprings of my parents and my siblings and so when she was born I was so disappointed in what my sister was reading to her and I said this is the same stuff that we read you know the prince is gonna come along and kiss you and everything's gonna be alright and it never <laughs> happened in my lifetime so I don't think we should keep passing this stuff on so, <laughs> 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 so anyway I uh, so I created this 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 piece and I was going to do it myself but I'm a, I'm not a bad producer, so as I got going, I thought, oh, this would be better if Carol Channing do it, would do it, and Dustin Hoffman would be better at this, and, and Diana Ross could sing this better than I could, and so I put together this album, and Mel Brooks and I did the baby voices and so forth, and it was really all about being free, and, and it was about not caring what race you were or what sex you were. It was mo mostly about race and sex, and, and it inspired children, but it inspired me as well, because I got to say what I wanted to say. I got to... I got to express in a funny and, and entertaining way something that I had been trying to say since I was a child. When I was 10 years old, I wrote a little pamphlet called Women Are People Too, which my mother <laughs> has framed because oh, I'm from a big Lebanese and Italian family where women are kind of told to be quiet and go into the kitchen. And so uh, <laughs> I spent my entire life struggling through that. And so I always, I had this need to say, you know, it depends on what, it matters what's inside of you which isn't a brand new thought, but somehow it hadn't been passed on to children early enough so that we wait till we're about 30 to figure it out and then we start fighting backwards, you know. So I wanted to give it to my little niece right away. And I must say, she's fabulous. She's 15 and she's president of her student body and she beat out three boys and I just get <laughs> <laughs> uh, Maury Blyfeld here with a question for Aidan Quinn. Uh, how is doing a uh, Sam Shepard play different from that of any other any other author? Um, He's like Shakespeare. <laughs> no, that's a good. That's a, there is a there is a difference in a certain way. Shepard uh, to do Shepard, I think, right is it's very difficult because 
the leaps and there's leaps in logic that you cannot just go on a method naturalistic this equals this equals this or this you have to be um, go beyond the material in a certain way because in a certain way his writing is not confined by that kind of logic so you too as the actor cannot confine yourself to just being believable you know you have to go out on the limb so I think that's basically the major difference very good yeah. Thank you. My name is Lisa Mathias, and my question is for Glenn Close. If you do not have much technical training, then what do you rely on for your characterizations in order to keep the performances fresh? I think I have a lot of technical training, for one thing. Um, I have, I learned technical training when I did theater in, at William and Mary, even though it wasn't a, a theater school as such. I was with people um, who knew about that kind of thing. I've also, I've always thought that a lot of technique was just common sense. <laughs> but, um, and I've also been very lucky to, to um, have worked with wonderful people who I have learned from and, and uh, watched. Um, so uh, beyond that, how to keep something fresh? Um, yes, like uh, performance after performance, if you don't, because I'm studying right now in school, and I'm learning how to, to, to keep going and, not, and to make it look like it's new every time. Yeah. I think, I don't know, I, it's, um, it's kind of a wonderful intangible. I think, first of all, you have to love what you're doing, and you have to love the audience every night, that new strange creature that you're going to meet. Um, and also you have to just, you have to, you have your concentration has to be within the mind of that character. And, and I, I sometimes will, will, will think of very, very specific things before I go on stage. So, so like, have I just come from a car? Is it raining? What's the feeling that I bring in? So it's very specific. So that you use your imagination all the time. And if you use your imagination, you can keep, you can keep fresh. And, and as you are that day, and as your imagination influences you that day, that's how you will walk out onto the stage. Thank you. I'm going to use my prerogative as president and ask a question that is usually asked during the seminars but hasn't been touched on here that much. How much leeway does an actor have with a director in the performance? How, how do you work out and how does each director have a different way? Does each actor react differently to the director? Who has, not the last word, but who has the most influence in the molding of the part for you? Ask that of Marlowe because she's worked with a real master director. Well, Glenn's worked with the same one, but I'll be happy yeah. to take a shot at it. Um, well, she just was talking. So oh, oh yes, you thank you. Uh, I think I think it's collaborative. You, uh, you know, uh, good directors, Mike, Lee Grant, and for just for two that I've worked with this year, they watch to see what you're going to do. They want to see where you're going. And as you're going, they start moving you to the left a little or to the right a little carefully because they don't want to stop you from anything that's going to be coming out instinctively and what you're working on all the time. Because the minute an actor decides to do a part, they start right away thinking, how does this fit in with my own problem solving of my life, where I'm going, what this means to me? Who this is? I mean, so that's that very good technique, your uncle. You know. Yeah, is, I didn't even it. know what that to tell. Yes, I think it is. <laughs> I think it is collaborative. If it's a good director, I think good directors are watching for what the artist is bringing, and then they'll say, you know, maybe that's 
the wrong mm -hmm. right there, but they wait a while, don't you? Uh, yeah, I think uh, good directors yes. are, are collaborators yes. and make you. But also, I think it's it's um, a good thing to to not take anything personally, yes. especially the first two weeks <laughs> yeah. of, of rehearsal. Yeah, <laughs> so I find because I worked with Joe Layton also, and she'll bring back Birdie, and I find most of the directors that work with me because I'm a dancer, and Joe, of course, is a choreographer too, and uh, Nathan Detroit. Uh, I worked uh, with uh, um, uh, a wonderful director. It's terrible, I can't remember his name. Jerry. Jerry. <laughs> That's okay, it'll come to It'll come because I love him. But he dealt with me on a physical thing. So he wanted Nathan Detroit to be like a fox, to be that. So he gave me physical things because he knew I was going to yeah. come from that way. I'm always, directors always have to bring me back because I always. <laughs> and they tell me they prefer it rather than try to make yeah. me go this way. Right. You know? Would you comment on that? Yeah, I, th I think ultimately, um, you know, those are the best experience I've had when it's a very collaborative thing. Because um, when the, the structure, I mean, the, the director has to have a vision and, and, and the thing of what he's doing and try to bring you within that. But ultimately, the actor, the, the, it's the actor. I'm directing something right now, and, and I, I just, I can't block it because I don't want to stop. I, don't, I just don't want right. to. I don't want to stop. Right. I don't want to. I, I want to say that's the way it's got to be. You know, I, 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 because ultimately I could give the actor. I said, you say this line for this reason, mm -hmm. and it, I'm not. He doesn't have to. His brain is free. His spirit is free. So ultimately, I think it's it's best when the actors create the blocking out of natural, mm -hmm. instinctive things to rehearsal that are shaped somewhat by the director and. Next question. I think just we have time for just one more. Uh, my name is Stephanie Zagorin. This is for Miss Thomas. Could you share with us uh, the work process you used in preparing Nobody's Child and Social Security? In a way that we could learn something from it. I know yes. everybody's acting technique is very personal. Yes. Well, Nobody's Child had kind of three parts to it. There was the whole intellectual research to find out to talk to the doctors, to go to the hospitals, and speak to Marie herself. She's alive, and so it was wonderful to play somebody that had been through it. And, I re and she also had written a manuscript of her own, her diaries, her letters, the prayers she had written all through those years in the institution. So I had all of that that kind of got me together. And then there was the physical work, you know, the limp and the hand cramping and the feet cramping and all of the, the symptoms that she had, not only from her diseases, but from the over-medication that she had been through. So there was that. And then the third, and, and the most exciting part, really, was finding the demons inside myself and opening the doors and letting them out and scaring the hell out of myself <laughs> so that I could play, play with her fear, play her fears. And it was a, a most exciting experience because we all have those doors we've locked with skeleton faces and, and uh, bones and said, don't come in. And we open them up and look at them. And that's the great thing about being an actor that whether you've studied or you haven't studied, that's where you have to go, is inside of yourself in this way. And, and when you go in there and open those up, sometimes you heal a couple. Not all of them, but a couple of them. Because anything that you look at, it's just like being a child. Everything is a shadow. And when you start to look at it, it doesn't look, it isn't quite as terrible after a while. But for the eight weeks that we filmed it, you know, my husband kept saying, I can't wait till this is over, because I kept waking up crying and screaming and, and, and I really, I had to really upset myself in order, and upset the things that I had hidden from. I don't know, maybe there is another more impersonal technique somewhere that works for some folks, but the, this is the one that 
not only does it help you grow as an artist, but it helps you grow as a person. And I think what Brendan was saying about Glenn's performance, that it is fed by what she had to go through, I think that's true. I think we all do that. We become better people by, by becoming better artists, and it, just, it goes around and around in a circle. It feeds your life, it feeds your work, it feeds your life, it feeds your work. And I think we're so lucky for that. George Burns is my patron saint, and when I uh, was growing up, I wanted to be an actress, and my father didn't want me to, and, and George Burns is a very good friend of my dad's, and he used to always say at the dinner table, Woody wanted to be a milliner. <laughs> there, is, there is no other world other than this. <laughs> I think, you know, there, that I, once more, I think I'm going to have to interrupt. To <laughs> and I just can't tell you how I hate doing this, because I want to go on and on, and I, but I think your message summed it all up on what it is to work in the theater. And I think that's the important thing of what the theater brings to you and what you in turn then bring to the audience. These are the American Theater Wing seminars that are coming to you from the City University Graduate Center of New York. And the panel today is on the performance and the performance and how they work in the theater. And I don't know when I've seen so, so much concern and confidence and kindness in sharing what these wonderfully gifted and talented and hardworking people have given to us. And I am so proud to be president of the American Theatre Wing and proud that we are able to bring the kind of people to the seminars to talk about working in the theatre. Thank you very much for being here. I do it going to set my butt off. I'm not bad for the best there. Do as I so go and God handle this. Not the better for the but Chan Carol do it and do it with us and then we'll be hopping with the better. Just in a row, dying, sing us good.